again. Great to see you. Glad that you're here. Happy long weekend. And uh, we're just good to see you and uh, thankful that you're with us this morning. And I want to say a huge thank you to so many of you who responded last Sunday uh, to our uh, the giving commitments. Many of you started giving. Many of you stepped up your giving. Many of you responded to pre-offer. I've got a stack of thank you notes on my desk that I'll be doing this week and getting in the mail. But uh, I really want to thank you. That was a fantastic response. Very encouraging. And uh, you are amazing. And I just wanted to say a thank you. Give yourselves a hand because you did a great job with that. So we're taking the month of May to remind us that, uh, remind each other that we're not perfect. Not that you needed the reminder. Tell, go ahead and tell the person beside you that you're not perfect. Not them, but that you are not perfect. Go ahead and, and tell them that. Just so we can be clear about this. David Way, I am not perfect. I want you to know that. How about you? You're not perfect either? All right. All right, but now we got that out of our systems. And when you get several people, several of us imperfect people under the same roof or in the same car, the, the imperfection, it, it's exponential, right? And it gets messy really, really quick. Anybody here grow up in a perfect family? Mm, no, right? None of us. And the family is the perfect place for imperfect people like us to allow our perfect God to perfect our faith. Did you get that? Perfect. All right. So how would it affect your family if you were becoming more like Jesus every day? What difference would it make to your family if you, not them, but if you were becoming more like Jesus every day what effect would it have on your home if you had more of the Holy Spirit in you and in your home and in your conversations we're in Galatians chapter 5 this morning and the Apostle Paul is writing to imperfect people like us and he's doing his best to to realign them to bring them back to the core uh, spiritual truth and practices that, that Paul knows if he can bring them back to these things, these things can, can radically transform their lives. They're, he's writing because they're, they're veering, they're getting off course, off track, and they're getting tangled up in all sorts of things that, that followers of Jesus shouldn't be tangled in. And so Paul gives us perfect practices for imperfect people. So first verse in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to hit a few verses here and then we'll focus on uh, a larger text a little bit later. But beginning with verse 1, so Christ, Paul says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So one of the images that, that he uses to realign them is the contrast between slavery and freedom. And, and Paul is, is reminding them, he's, he's, he's asking them to remember, he's saying, when you have experienced the sweet aroma of freedom, when you've danced in the unshackled open air of joy, when you've appreciated the price that was paid to set you free, Paul's saying, whatever you do, don't, don't go back to, to the slavery. Don't go, if you've been free, don't go back 
to bondage. Don't be caught in those chains again. Don't look back. Don't turn back. And the lure of sin means we're all, we're all normal. We all, every one of us experienced this, that the lure of sin, the lure of sin is that, is that whatever that lure has will, will satisfy you. You know, you need this right now, and this will satisfy. It will fill a void, and that's a lie. Because sin never fills a hole. It only makes the hole deeper. Did you get that this morning? The lure of sin is that it'll satisfy. And that's a lie. The reality of sin is that sin never fills a hole. It only makes the hole deeper. And the promise of Jesus is that he is the bread of life. He fills and he satisfies our needs and our longings. He's the living water that quenches every thirst. And if you stay in Jesus, if you stay connected to him, he will sustain you. He will complete you. He will supply your every need. It, it's when we unplug from Jesus that, that and when we wander, that's when bad things happen. So let's go back to verse 1 here. Christ has truly set us free. Make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Paul acknowledges that the struggle is real. There's, there's a struggle here. You, you, you were chained up in something and you've been set free. It's a battle. And, and Paul knows that, that we don't just naturally drift towards Christ-likeness, right? I mean, it takes discipline. We call them spiritual disciplines. If you are going to become more like Jesus every day, it's a discipline. You have to be vigilant. And we all know what happens when we drift. Anything, anything good ever happened from drifting spiritually? You know, my life was going pretty good, but then I unplugged from Jesus. And wow, I just, you know, my spiritual life just took off. Just, you know, nothing, nothing good happens when you drift spiritually. All of your bad decisions are from times when you put God on hold. When you gave God a time out. I'll be back in a few minutes. All of your bad decisions come from those times. When I take matters into my own hands, I mess up what really matters. And Paul says, hey, you've been there before. Now make sure you don't get caught up in that stuff again. Be vigilant. I'm the light sleeper of our house. Any light sleepers out there? You're all asleep. Wakey, wakey. I'm the light sleeper of our house. I can hear your eyes roll. I can hear you change your mind. And I can hear the temperature drop. I'm vigilant. I'm, I'm listening as I sleep or barely sleep for anything out of the ordinary. And Paul doesn't want you to, to go to sleep on, on your spiritual life with Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be in a dead sleep on spiritual things. He wants us to wake up and to be alert and to be awake. We recognize that we're, we're imperfect people this morning. We're prone to wander. But we're not helpless. We're not, we're not hopeless. You can take spiritual responsibility for your home. You. Right now. You can say, that's enough. 
from this day forward, I am going to take spiritual responsibility for my home. You don't have to let the Standards Council of Canada or the current trends of culture tell you what is or what isn't appropriate, uh, helpful, and certainly not what is biblical for your home and your family. Go ahead, okay, good. Copyright. It took us a long time to get there, and I was thinking, I need a drink. I've... That little router on your wall that brings the internet into your home is not filtered by the Holy Spirit. But you are. You are. You can invite the Holy Spirit to be the guard dog, the alarm system, the barrier, the perimeter, keeping you on a high-speed connection with Jesus Christ. So here are some, some practical ideas this morning for, for taking back your home for Jesus. And your neighbors will think you're crazy, but who cares? <laughs> what, what difference? They probably already think you're crazy. What difference does it make? Here's one. Stand on your front step as a family. Hold hands and pray together for your home. Your neighbors will, will wonder, what in the world is going on over there? Who cares? Circle the house. Walk around your home. Just walk and pray. You don't have to blow trumpets. You don't have to like bang pots and pans as you're walking around your house. But I'm not kidding. I mean, walk around your yard. Walk around your home and, and just walk and pray. Don't pray out loud for your neighbor and his dandelions. And Lord, be with that heathen Bob who's sitting on his deck every Sunday morning. Lord, you know he doesn't go to church. Lord, be with Bob. Don't do that. Don't do that. Here's another one. Take all the devices in your home. All the devices. All, the, all of these types of things. Phones, computers, iPads. Put them all in a, in a pile. And pray over them. If your phone is causing you to sin, throw it out. So Jesus said, cut off. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. He said, if your eyes causing you to sin, pluck it out. Radical. You all right? There's tension in here this morning. Stretch a little bit. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7, he says, you were running the race so well. Who? He asks this question, who? Like he wants to be really specific. What is it? Who? Or what is it that is holding you back from following the truth? Whatever it is that's, that's tripping you up, Paul wants you to know. What is that thing? What is it? And, and bring that thing out into the light where you, can, where you can deal with it and say, this thing, whatever that is, is not going to... Is not going to uh, uh, drain us spiritually any longer. It's not going to ruin the spiritual temperature in our home, in our family, in our lives any longer. What is it? Let's talk about it. Let's bring it out. Let's, let's discuss it. Let's deal with that thing so that we can move on. What is tripping you up? Ain't no one got time for that. Paul is, is cheering you on, really. He's handing you a fresh Gatorade and a slap on the back, and he says, get back in there. You were running so well. What happened? He's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. What, 
What is bothering you? Let's get you back in the race so you can be running again. Apparently, people were misusing their freedom in Jesus as a license to sin, taking advantage of, of God's grace, totally twisting theology. And, and Paul writes uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read it here in a second. But verse 13, I mean, he, he drives that into the ground like a, like a survey stake, like a mile marker, a defining verse that explains why Jesus has set us free. And it's not about you. Here it is, verse 13. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters of Moncton Wesleyan Church. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your old sinful nature. He says, don't go back there. You've been set free. Don't go back there. Instead, use your freedom. Why? To serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. Yeah, okay. Stop again. Coffee. This one another is one of the one another's, one of the many one another's of the New Testament that built the church. This is, this is the reason why the, the church thrived in the first century and came out of the second century. And this, is, this, is, this is why the church became uh, what it is. These one another's built the church against every, every, uh, everything that was against them in the first few centuries of their existence. The way the church lived out the one another's, the one another's of Jesus, the way they lived that out and practiced those things, it had such a, a, a radical impact on their culture that, that the people around them wanted to know more. They saw such a change, such a difference in people's lives and the way that they served one another and loved one another that people wanted to know more about Jesus. Now, when you serve one another in love, this does not mean just the one another's that you happen to like. This is not the one another's who only look like you or dress like you. This, this one another means all y'all. One another, all of us. Not the ones who annoy, or, or the, no, no, how do I want to say that? Don't uh, disclude the ones who annoy you or the ones who aggravate you. Everyone. This is how, gang, this is how multiple imperfect people like us and in your home and in your family, this is how you make it work. Serving one another in love. Try this in your marriage this week. Just decide, I'm going I'm to do this for a week and see if it makes a difference. I'm going to serve my spouse with love. I see some elbows are starting to go across the, the auditorium. Paul says, for followers of Jesus, it's our calling. This is who we are. This is what Jesus followers do. They just, they just naturally want to serve one another in love. It's freedom. It opens doors. It unlocks. It, it, it unfolds arms. It diffuses the tension. It opens conversation. And Paul, you know, he corrects these believers in, in Galatia. And he says to them, your freedom, the reason that Jesus set you free, we celebrated that this morning. He said the reason that Jesus set you free is not so that you can abuse it and just, and just do anything you want and sin any way that you want. Paul says you're free to serve others. 
But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, he said in that verse, verse 13. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, that, your sinful nature is flesh. Here's a definition of flesh. Flesh is personal desire in my life over God's desire for my life. When I choose to put my, myself, my personal desire, what I want, what I think I need, ahead of God's best for my life and God's desire for my life, that's, that's, that's flesh. When my wants trump God's words, that's flesh. So since you were two years old, you've wanted whatever you've wanted to satisfy your selfish nature, right? Jesus gives us a supernatural way of living that's not about us, and it puts the focus on others. We use our lives and direct our lives to loving others and serving others in this, this head-snapping, countercultural, radical way of living will have such an impact on others that, that people will see Jesus in you and they'll want to know more about this Jesus. Where, where, how are you doing this? Where, where do you find the, 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 the desire and the energy and the, to, to serve one another? How do you, where does that come from? And it gives you an opportunity to talk about Jesus. In verse 13, Paul uh, takes the word, uh, he used the word slavery in verse 1, and he uses the word serve in verse 13, and they're pretty much the same word. It's the, the Greek word there is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. So when Paul says that we should serve one another in love, it's the same as saying, make yourselves slaves to one another. Well, that takes it up a few notches, doesn't it? Make yourselves slaves to one another. So he says you're free from the slavery of the flesh, and you're free to serve one another. You're no longer bound in chains of sin, but now you're fully bound to Jesus through his death and his resurrection. And if we had time this morning, we'd go over and look at chapter 6, the last chapter of Galatians, and we'd see that before Paul ends his letter, he tells us not to be fooled. He says, you will harvest whatever you sow. Don't be surprised, gang, when whatever you have planted starts to come up all around you. Whatever you plant in your relationships, those words that come out of your mouth, those, those uh, actions that you, the body language that you give, and all those things, everything that you plant, don't be surprised when whatever you're planting starts to come up all around you. You can't plant dandelions and get strawberries. I've got a really good dandelion farm going right now at my house. Nothing will come out of those dandelions except for, and I didn't even plant them, but they're there. If we sow the right things into our lives, sow the right things into our families, into our homes, even though we're far from perfect, if we do that consistently, you just keep sowing good things into your, into your relationships. God will produce the produce that can forever impact our families and the lives of those around us. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 16. We're going to read 16 
And then we're going to jump down and read 22 to 26. Verse 16, Paul says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and, and be the filter for all of your decision-making, for everything in your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, back to verse 22. We're going to put up verse 22 or most of it on the screen. And things we know to be true from, from this verse, the whole bunch of things that we know to be true from this verse, first of all, uh, let the Holy Spirit produce this kind of fruit. So Paul is telling us, he's reminding us, hey, the Holy Spirit is in you. Don't forget that. You're not helpless. You're not hopeless. The Holy Spirit is in you. It also lets us know that the Holy Spirit is active. He is a producer of good things. The Holy Spirit wants to be doing good things in, your, in our lives and, and, and producing good things out of us. Another reminder from this verse, you've heard me say this before, what you are full of is what comes out of you. If you're filled with the Spirit and you get bumped, and you get jammed, and you get pushed, someone, someone who knows how to push all your buttons, they push them all at the same time, there's all your buttons. What comes out of you is what, you're, is what you're full of. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll respond appropriately. Another thing we know to be true from this verse, the Holy Spirit, he produces the supernatural in us. In other words, you and the Holy Spirit can produce things out of your lives that you alone are just not capable of doing. And it'll cause people to think, wow, you're different, you've changed, what has gotten into you? And you can say, you know what, on my own, I'd slap you right now. That's the Holy Spirit in me. God, is, God has changed me. Another thing we know to be true from this verse, we are fruit-bearing, fruit-producing beings. God has, God has designed you this way. We are meant to grow as Christians, as followers of Jesus. You're meant to, to grow and become more like Jesus Christ. Another thing we know to be true from this verse, fruit, it always multiplies. These are good things. Fruit is, is it's packed with potential. Another thing we know to be true, we are, we are meant as followers of Jesus to receive good things from God, to allow those things to transform us, and then to dispense. Receive good things from God. Allow it to transform you, and then, and then give it away. Allow those things to, to transform other people's lives. Uh, this great verse from Psalm 1, verse 3 says, They 
uh, the people who are following God's word, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. When Paul's thoughts turn to the, the things that should be happening in our lives, right? He writes back to the people in Galatia who are off track. And when, his, when he's writing and his thoughts turn to the things that God should be doing in believers' lives, he begins with love, and you should too. It's a great place to start. Love is the first thing there on his list. And it goes back to that verse 13 where Paul said to us that we should serve one another in love. If you sow love, you grow love. This is, this is, yeah, this is, yeah, okay. If you sow love, you will grow love. Paul used the word love 109 times in his letters. Obviously, it was a key theme. So this Galatia, the Galatian people, it, it's a large area like a province. And in some of those cities in the Galatia region that Paul preached in, um, some of those cities he visited, he was chased, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was dragged out of town and left for dead. Okay? This, this happened to, to Paul. He was rolling to town, start to tell people about Jesus. People freak out and they start chasing him and beating him and stoning him and, and taking him to the near point of death and dragging him out of the city and throwing him outside the city and leaving him there on a pile of rocks for the birds to pick at his body. This is the reception that he received in some of these places. Needless to say, he probably didn't get to spend a long time in one particular spot. They're chasing him out all the time. And it's possible that he just didn't have time to, to fully establish all these new believers the way that he, that, way that he wanted to. And when he hears that the, 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 the people who have decided to follow Jesus at, at any cost and at all risk, those, when Paul hears that those people are, are being misled from false teaching and they're veering off from the true message of Jesus, he responds and he writes with an urgency and he's reminding them of the price that Jesus Christ paid to set them free, to rescue them from this evil and wicked world. One of the key characteristics of a Christian, maybe the key indicator that Paul urges them to practice is love. And here Paul is writing with the, with the scars on his back of being whipped and beaten and dragged out of town. He still has the scars on his body. Still remembering how he was treated there. And, and, he's, and he's quite disturbed and quite upset with these false teachers who are leading the new believers away. And, and, and yet, even still, Paul says, hey, we need to respond with love. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that when we're attacked for our faith, when we're persecuted for our faith, what comes out of us is love. The, the fruit, one of the key fruits of our lives as followers of Jesus, it should be just coming out of us, Paul says, is, is love. Paul knows that if he can get them to love each other like Jesus loved us, they'll form an unstoppable community. It's their love for one another that will cause the haters to drop their stones and want to know more about this Jesus Christ. Love will draw them back to the core teachings of Jesus. 
I haven't preached in three weeks and I'm dry. The sermon's not dry. The preacher's dry. We, gang, we, each one of us, every person in this room this morning, we need to be constantly reminded of God's unfathomable love and mercy towards us. Don't forget how deep the Father's love is for you and his mercy towards you. Remember how patient, gentle, and kind God has been with you and is being with you right now in this very moment. You can say, well, Pastor Tim, that's easy, easy for him to do. He's God and I'm not. Well, that's why Paul emphasizes the Holy Spirit. And he says, you're not God, but you have God in you. The Holy Spirit is in you and with you, transforming you and regenerating you and empowering you. The Holy Spirit is your miracle grow. He's the, he's the generator. You can't do this on your own. Don't depend on your own strength. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit and be fully aware of, of, of how God can, can help you in these situations. If you have to, when you pull in the driveway at home at the end of a long day and, and you're, you're maybe wondering about what is going on inside the house, breathe a prayer before you get out of the car. You know, God, help me to be a gentle spouse. Help me to be a kind, patient parent. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, and help me to be, be more than I could ever be on my own. Give me patience beyond my own strength. God, fill our home with joy. Fill our conversations with joy and peace. Lower our tempers. Lengthen our patience. Help us to love and understand each other through the eyes of Jesus. Love leads to joy, and joy cannot be based on our circumstances. Christian joy is not based on what is happening in the moment. Christian joy comes from who Jesus is. The Galatians' joy was in the midst of their suffering and their persecution for their faith. And, and what, what we do, we, I mean I do, okay. What I do is I often, too often, equate joy with ease. My, my joy goes up when life is good. I equate it with ease, or joy as an absence of hardship, or joy because of what we have. Those are first world phenomenons. Joy comes from sharing in Christ's suffering, like we demonstrated here this morning in celebrated communion. Our joy is in our hope in Jesus Christ. It's, it's in our belief and our experience of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us and what he's doing in us and ultimately what our reward will be with him in eternity. Our joy is in the defeat of sin and the grave. Christians of all people should be marked by joy. Uh, uh. There should be more joy in the church than anywhere else on the planet. Yes? There should be. Someone was telling me they went to Graham and Ann and saw nothing but fog. Shocking. It's where they make fog. They have a massive factory on Graham and Ann, the, the manufacturing facility where they make fog. They are the world's largest supplier of fog. 
Now the church is the source of joy. The church is where, the, the, where people, anyone, should be able to walk in here and tell there is a, there's a joy in this place that is genuine. There, there's something going on here that people pick up on right away. Because the church belongs to Jesus Christ and he is our joy. Love leads to joy. Joy leads to peace. And peace leads to patience. Patience leads to kindness. And kindness leads to goodness. And goodness leads to faithfulness. Faithfulness leads to gentleness. And gentleness leads to self-control. Self-control leads to, here we are, self-control leads to full surrender. Allowing every person in this room, allowing the Holy Spirit to produce the produce that can radically transform our lives, our homes, our families, and all of our relationships. We are products of what our lives produce. You make your decisions, and then your decisions make you. What you sow is what you grow. Maybe there are some things here this morning in your life, in my life, that we need to, maybe some weeds. Maybe there's, there's garbage in our lives that are choking off the good stuff. Maybe there's some things in there that you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, would you come this morning in my life and uproot that stuff and get that stuff, get that junk out, that I might produce the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe some of you here this morning need to take spiritual responsibility for your homes. Maybe, maybe some of you say, enough, enough, enough. It's time to let the Holy Spirit have full control. Maybe you need to go home and, and pray on your front step. Maybe you need to walk around the house. Maybe you need to put all the devices on the table and pray over them. Maybe you need to rip the router off the wall. I don't know. But let's let the Holy Spirit be first in our homes and in our relationships. Why would we let the enemy win? There's no need for that. We have, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe some of you need to say this morning, how would my family be different if I was becoming more like Jesus Christ every day? More like Jesus every day. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again this morning for the power of your word. And you know, God, that my prayer this morning was just that, that you would hide me behind your word, that, that people would not see a speaker or a preacher, but that they would see the cross of Jesus Christ, that they would see the power of your word, that they would know your Holy Spirit is here right now. So, Lord, we invite you again to come and, and examine our hearts and our lives and help us to fully surrender to you whatever whatever needs to be surrendered help us to take back our homes our relationships our property for jesus christ be with us now as we respond to you in jesus name amen let's all stand together